Our brachot give life to green. Hashem's people will no longer be ashamed. Our roots run as deep as the Lebanon tree. Our sins will be cast to the bottom of the sea. So this week's Parsha is Parshat Vayelach. And we've been reading a lot of Haftorahs lately. And we'll continue to do so because it is during the, the, the Yomim Norayim, the, the high holiday season. And this Shabbat is a very special one. It's called Shabbat Teshuvah, um, the Shabbat of return. And it's called that because it's the days, um, it's, it's the Shabbat that's, that, that is in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur during the Aseret Yom Eshuvah, during the, the 10 days uh, of repentance. Now, the Haftorah is, um, it, it, it's interesting, it depends on exactly what shul you're at, um, as to what exact Haftorah you'll read, and it's somewhat rare that Vayilach is read independently as a Parsha by itself, but when it is, like it is this year, um, then the Haftorah that is read from is from uh, Hosea, from Eov, and from Micha. Basically, they combine all three into make this uh, pretty lengthy uh, Haftorah, all about Teshuvah. So I'll begin with um, the Haftorah talking about Shuvah Yisrael, a very appropriate start to the, the Shabbos Teshuvah Haftorah, uh, namely that Shuvah Yisrael, return Israel, um, Ad Hashem, basically like onto Hashem, not just to Hashem, but like re- return return Israel, Ad Hashem, like onto Hashem, uh, your God, for you have stumbled in, you have stumbled into sin. So um, all the commentaries talk about what is going on here, where where it says you've stumbled into Avon, into sin. How can how is it possible that a person can stumble into um, sin that is done on purpose? This is the Avon are the types of sins that are done on purpose, not by mistake. So how is it possible you kind of just stumble in to something that uh, you know that 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 you do on purpose it makes no sense. So. Um, the Gemara in Bav Batra explains that an intentional sinner, it must be that even an intentional sinner didn't really do it on purpose because had he calculated the actual costs of doing the sin, had he sort of uh, weighed out you know, the, the, the benefits of the sin versus the costs of doing the sin, he would see that the costs so far outweigh the benefits that he wouldn't do it. So it's saying even an intentional sinner in Bhava Batra says even an intentional sinner really if they focused, if they if they did the calculation correctly, they wouldn't have done the sin. So the fact that they did the sin was just really a miscalculation. It was almost unintentional. It was as if they stumbled into sin. A tremendous uh chiddush there, tremendous insight that you can stumble into purposeful sin. Uh, obviously not an excuse, but but once you already do it, you can look back and say, well, the reality is it must have been I didn't properly measure the costs of what that would cost me to, to do that sin. Then the Haftorah um, continues by saying, um, take words with you and return to Hashem. Take Devarim, take words with you. It's interesting that this is really, um, you know, a nice message for Teshuvah, that sometimes just words alone, just our prayer alone can help us do Teshuvah. We don't necessarily have to do some grand act. In fact, I mean, it is important that you do that also. But but even you, teshuva is, is ultimately something done with words. And those words are taken to Hashem. 
Um, and one, one, uh, in, uh, some interpretations here say it's taken to Hashem, like it basically teshuva is you wouldn't expect teshuva to actually work. Um, the fact that someone can get, you know, you think about an American law, even if you admit to a murder, you're still going to have to serve time behind bars. But in, um, Jewish you know, law, you have this idea of teshuva where you can do a sin. And even though God should punish you, even if you say, I made a mistake, God has this sort of calculation, you know, that Shuva existed um, even before the world existed, uh, the commentaries say. And basically, then you can take those words and you send them, your words of Teshuvah go straight to God because it's like in God's realm um, to to do Teshuvah or to accept Teshuvah. Then you say to God, these are the words that you say, you say, may you forgive iniquity and accept good. Let our lips substitute for bulls. So what this means, let our lips substitute for bulls, is that normally bulls are used, um, you know, cows, bulls are used for offerings, are used for animal sacrifices. However, in, not, in you know, today's day and age when we don't do animal sacrifices, our lips, our prayer, our, our davening is in place of those animal sacrifices. So it says, let our lips substitute for the bulls. Um, and, and also interesting is that when you would give um, an offering, you had to make sure that, it would, that your offering was only accepted by God if you, it was done with sincere uh, repentance. So, so too, our lips are only, you know, our prayers are only accepted by God if it's really done with sincere uh, repentance. Then it says, um, the, the, the Ashu, the Assyrians, um, lo yashianu, that, um, lo yoshianu, that they won't save us. Um, and we won't ride on horses. What's interesting here, we won't ride on horses, is that normally to win a battle, you have to ride on horses. Um, but in the in, in sort of the end of days, then God will protect us, and we won't even need to ride on horses. We won't even have the need to basically use like military might. God will just protect us even without those things, even without horses and tanks, etc., etc. Um, then the Aftora says we... Um, we, we won't call our work from our, the work from our hands, our God. What this is saying is we might, you know, think in today's day and age that the work that we do with our hands is entirely coming from us ultimately. But what we should learn from that is not necessarily, that not necessarily coming from our hand, that we won't call the work from our hand, our God. Ultimately, you know, we shouldn't think that we're the, we're the be all end all of the world, that we're the only things that matter in life. The reality is, um, you know, that, that Hashem is there, that, that we shouldn't just look at the work from our hands, our own doings, and accredit that all entirely to us. Um, and then it says, only with you, only, only with Hashem, that um, a yatom, that an orphan, um, finds mercy. And then the Aftorah continues by saying, I'll rectify their sin, I'll love them graciously, my anger turns away from them. This is God talking. Um, God says, I'll be the uh, I'll be to Yisrael like tal, like dew. And why is dew so uh, so good? Dew is good because dew um, is basically, it's not, you know, rain is inconvenient. Rain, um, you don't want to be outside when it rains. Dew, however, it also waters the plants, but it waters them in a way that's very convenient. And you don't have to, 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 to outwardly do anything other than just wait for the dew to come. And uh, it won't stop you in your tracks like rain does. And then it says God will be like blossoms on a rose bush and will 
basically stabilis like roots that are as deep as a Lebanese cedar tree. Um, so the Lebanese cedar tree has very deep roots. It's very stable. And so too, the Jewish people will be stabilized by, by God. And then it says the bran- um, there will be branches like an olive tree um, and as fragrant as, fragrant as uh, the, the Lebanese cedar. And it says all those that dwell in God's shade will return. Um, and it's interesting here. It says that they give life. The Jewish people give life to grain. Um, what does this mean? We give life to grain. Normally you think about it the other way. The grain gives life to us. You know, we have to eat grain in order to live. How do we give life to grain? The commentaries say we give life to grain because um, because when we say a bracha over grain uh, or over bread, then we basically make that grain into something that is valuable, into something that is, is worthwhile in the eyes of God. Um, so while grain, we need grain to survive, so too, in a way, we give life to grain. That's a, a symbiotic uh, relationship uh, by elevating it with bracha. Then it says we'll have tremendous, basically, uh, success. We'll have um, blossoms uh, like a vine, um, and we'll have wine from, from Lebanon. And then it says Ephraim. Ephraim, whenever it says Ephraim, it's really referring, referring to the ten lost tribes. Ephraim says, what need do I have for idols? And this is a crazy statement because the ten tribes were very, um, you know, famously basically did idol worship. They, 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 idol worship was their, was their life. And in the end of days, they'll say, what need do I have for idols? Um, and, and Ephraim says, I will respond like a cypress tree, uh, or God, God responds to Ephraim, uh, like a cypress tree that carries fresh fruit. Um, then the Haftor says, Mi chucha v'yavan aleha, which means, who is wise? Mi chacham, sorry, mi chacham, who is wise? And then, uh, the person that's wise is the one that understands these things, and then um, who understands these things? The ones that the the ones that uh, know, and then the after says the ways of Hashem are straight, are Yisharim Darche Hashem. The, the ways of Hashem are straight, and the tzaddikim walk in them, and the sinners stumble. What's interesting here is that it's talking about the Torah, the same very Torah, the same paths that Hashem gives us. The tzaddikim, the righteous person they are able to walk in them easily as where the sinners working with the same model, with the same paths, they stumble. Um, then the Svardim and um, Chabad skips this next section here. Um, this section, uh, but I'll go into it. It says Hashem's army is numerous. Those that follow his word are, are mighty. Um, the day of Hashem is great and awesome. Who can bear it? Um, and then even now, Hashem says, return to me with all your heart, uh, with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, crying. And even now, the commentary says that even now, even after all our sins, we shouldn't think that we don't have a path, a way back. Uh, Hashem says, even now, even given what the Jewish people have done uh, and, and, the, and how they haven't followed the mitzvot, nonetheless, um, there's a path to return. Then it says, um, tear you know, tear at your hearts, not at your clothes. You know, you normally tear your, you, you rip your clothes, you, you tear Kriya uh, when you hear of a dead relative. So it's saying instead, tear your hearts, tear something more internal and return to Hashem. 
He's the Erech Apayim. He's slow to anger. He's Rav Chesed. He's, he's full of kindness. Mi Odea, um, you know, who, 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 um, who knows uh, to do Teshuva and leave a meal, um, leave a meal and libation offering to Hashem. So saying a person that does Teshuva um, will ultimately come to follow all the mitzvot and in the end of days even offer meal offerings and libation offerings. Then it says, blow the shofar, um, fast, uh, you know, gather uh, the people, the elders, the young, the, the bride, the groom. Let the Kohanim say, have pity, um, Hashem, on your people. Don't let the other nations dominate us and make them ask, where is their God? And you see this kind of repeated in other Haftorahs. Basically, when the Jewish people are crushed again and again and again, um, even the, you know, the Nazis would ask, uh, that would would sort of mock the Jewish people whether while they were killing them and say where's your God and it says don't make you know it, it, the Kohanim are saying to God you know don't make your people look bad don't let other nations dominate us and make them ask us where is your God rather show yourself then Hashem at the you know once Hashem needs to Hashem will take action and then there will be tremendous success there's going to be grain wine oil um, and it will fill us and we will no longer be a disgrace of a nation. Um, and then it's the Torah says, I'll distance um, the Saphoni, the, the northern one. The northern one is either here talking about a locust swarm, or it's talking about actually sort of the the, 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 the Saphoni could also be the hidden one. In the hidden one, the commentary says, referring to the, the Yitzhahara. Um, and it's going to basically banish the Yitzhahara or the the, the swarm of locusts to an arid land, desert, to the eastern and western sea. Um, then it says, don't fear, be glad, Hashem is, is greatly kind. Um, then it says, the, the grass for grazing animals, there, there will be grass for grazing animals, there will be fruit on trees, and the Jewish people will, um, Sion will exalt because God has brought us rain. And then early, and there will be early and, and late rain in the first month. What this, what's this talking about? This is talking about a miracle that happened once where a crop grew miraculously. In the, in the Gemara in Tanis, it explains, a crop grew miraculously extremely quickly. Only in 11 days after planting barley, barley grew just in time for, for uh, the Omer offering. And that's what it says, early and late rains, that basically the crops were able to grow so quickly um, and and be ready in time for the Omer offering. Um, then it says lots. there will be lots of grain, wine, oil, um, will be repaid for the destructive locust, will eat, will be satisfied. Um, we will praise God. My people will not be ashamed. You will know that I am Hashem, your God. There's none other. Um, and it says, Mikal Kamocha, who is, who is, who is like you, uh, God? And um, the Haftorah answers, who pardons sin and overlooks sin from his people. And the Gemara in Gittin says that a truly strong leader is someone that is willing to not use all their power. A strong, you know, you think about a, a king is able to decapitate anyone in his, you know, kingdom at any moment. But a strong king is able to hold back and not necessarily do everything that he can do uh, just to wreak havoc. And it says that's Hashem, that Hashem could destroy us all in a blink of an eye. Um, nonetheless, he is where his real power comes from is not that he can destroy us, but rather from the fact that he can destroy us yet chooses not to. Then it says, um, we'll not be mad forever. 
God will not be mad forever because God desires chesed, desires kindness, and our sins will be cast to the depths of the sea. Um, and um, grant truth to Yaakov, grant to Emes to Yaakov, and chesed to Avraham, basically calling back on the avot in their, their, their character traits. And then uh, as you swore to our forefathers. So to recap the Aftorah, uh, again, I mentioned that um, this actually covers three different books. It covers Hosea, Eov, and Micha in this Aftorah. And this is, of course, the uh, Shabbos Shuvah, uh, because it's the Shabbos in between Yom Kippur, uh, Yom, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah during the Aseret Yom Shuvah. And the Aftorah appropriately begins with Shuve Yisrael, return Israel um, to, uh, to, to Hashem, your God, for you have stumbled in sin. Um, and I mentioned here that really the whole idea of Teshuva is just an act of kindness from God. And then I also said that what does this mean? It sounds like a contradiction that we could stumble into sin. Bava Batra answers that an intentional sinner, even an intentional sinner, it must be he really didn't do it intentionally because had he weighed the costs and the benefit, had he done a cost and benefit analysis, he would have realized that the, the, the costs of doing a sin so far outweigh the benefits that he really, even though it was an intentional sin, he really didn't understand the full circumstances and he wouldn't have done it had he did. Therefore, it's like you stumbled into purposeful sin. It says then you take words with you um, and return to Hashem. I said these words are words of teshuva um, and that you say to God, um, may you forgive my iniquity and accept the good our, may our lips be a substitute for bulls. I talked about how bulls normally, you know, animal sacrifices are no longer practiced and rather um, our prayer is basically the substitute for that. And I mentioned that an offering is only accepted, an animal offering is only accepted if there's sincere repentance. So too, our words have to be sincere. Then it says, Ashu, the Assyrians, um, they would not save us and we will not ride on horses. Basically, we won't even need sort of uh, um, horses, we won't need military might to uh, protect us because God will protect us uh, in the end of days. Then it says, we won't call the work from our hands our God. And, you know, in today's day and age, I think this rings true that a lot of the times we feel everything we do with our hands, that all of that belongs to us. Rather, the Aftora says, don't think that what the work we do with our hands inherently belongs to us. Um, rather, we have to recognize sort of uh, that it's not it's not only us you know, it, it, that, that our hands aren't God themselves, um, and we shouldn't be so boastful to think that. And then only, and then the Aftorah explains, only with you, only with Hashem, um, that a yatom, that an orphan, can find mercy. And it says, I'll rectify their, the, God says, I'll rectify the Jewish people's sins. I love them graciously. My anger will turn away from them. I'll be to Israel like tal, like dew. And I said, dew isn't inconvenient. Nevertheless, it still waters all the plants. And God will be will blossom like a rose bush. There will be roots as deep as the Lebanon's as the Lebanese cedars. Branches will be like an olive tree, and as fragrant as a Lebanon cedar. And those that that dwell in God's shade will return, and they give life to green. What did I say? They give life to green. How does this make sense? You normally think of green gives life to us. We have to eat bread. Rather, though, that it also works the other way. That when we say a bracha. Um, when, when we thank God for eating the grain, it's as if we gave life to that grain. Um, then Ephraim, the, 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 sort of whenever it says Ephraim, it's talking about the 10 lost tribes. And um, the 10 lost tribes say, what need do I have for idols? Which is a shocking statement because they are best known for their idolatry. 
Nevertheless, in the end of days, they'll say, what need do I even have for, 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 uh, for idols? And it says, God will respond like a cypress tree with fresh fruit. And then it says, Mi chacham, who's a wise person? Um, vayavan eleha. Uh, a wise person is someone that understands these. Um, and then it says, the ways of Hashem are straight. Are yesharim darchei Hashem. Ways of Hashem are straight. The tzaddikim walk in them and the sinners stumble. What's this mean? That the tzaddikim, the righteous people, they are able to walk um, in, in the ways of Hashem in a, in a very straight line comfortably. The sinners, nonetheless, in the same paths, they struggle. Um, then the Sephardim skip this, this next section where it says Hashem's army is numerous. Those that follow his word are, are mighty. The day of Hashem is great and awesome. And even now, Hashem says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, crying. And it says, even now, basically, even after all those sins, God should, you know, God is telling the Jewish people to return. And then it says, tear your hearts, not your clothes. Normally we tear our clothes when someone, when someone dies, we, we tear Korea. But it says, even tear your hearts to do teshuva and return to Hashem. Then it says, uh, Hashem is erach apayim, is slow to anger, rav chesed, uh, tremendous in kindness, mi odea, um, you know, who, who, who knows, um, that to do, uh, do teshuva, to, to, to repent and then, or, or to return and then leave a meal and libation offering to God. Then it says, blow the shofar, uh, don't eat, gather the people, the elders, the young, the bride, the groom, let the Kohanim say, have pity Hashem on your people. Don't let other nations dominate us and make us and, and make them say, where is your God? I said that some of the other nations, when they destroy us, or when they try to destroy us, they say, where, where is God? And that should be such an insult to God that God will have no other choice, the Aftorah says, other than to take action. And once God takes action, there will be tremendous um, uh, wealth. There's going to be grain, wine, oil will, be, um, will, be, will, be, will fill us, will no longer be a disgrace of a nation. Um, God says, I'll distance the Tsephoni, which is either... Um, these, the, 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 the locust, or it's talking about the Yitzhar Hara, the hidden one, the Tzfoni, the hidden one. And then it says, um, I'll, I'll, I'll send the, the Yitzhar Hara into a desert and um, into the eastern and western sea, and its stench um, will, will leave it. Then it says, don't fear, be glad, Hashem is greatly kind. Um, and the grass, there will be grass for grazing animals, there will be fruit on trees, um, and Sion, the Jewish people, will exalt because God has brought rain. And then it says early and late, the rain in the first month. And I said this is talking about a time that uh, the Gemara Antanas explains that a crop grew one year miraculously only in 11 days from planting um, to harvesting. Then it says um, there will be lots of grain, wine, oil that will, re- will be repaid for um, the destruction that the locust caused. Will be eat, will eat, will be satisfied. Praise God, my people will not be ashamed. Um, you will know that I am Hashem, your God. There's none other. And then it says, Mikal Kamocha, who is like, who is a God like you? Uh, and the Jewish people basically say, who who is a God that who pardons sin and overlooks sin from his people? And I said, the Gemara and Gittin says, a truly strong person is someone that doesn't use all of his strength. Rather, rather it's someone that's able to restrain himself. Then it says, um, don't be mad forever. Uh, God will not be mad forever. He desires chesed um, and our sins will be cast to the depths of the sea and um, that God should grant emet to, to Yaakov, truth to Yaakov, chesed to Avraham 
and uh, just as you swore to our forefathers. With that, I'll read the poem. Our brachot give life to grain. Hashem's people will no longer be ashamed. Our roots run as deep as the Lebanon tree. Our sins will be cast to the bottom of the sea. And with that, l'chaim l'chaim. If we are insincere, Hashem calls our bluff. Wearing sackcloth is not enough. Shalom, shalom for the far and near. If we cry out, Hashem will say, I'm here. So this Haftorah is for the morning uh, during Shacharit uh, of Yom Kippur. And the Haftorah begins, um, it's, in, it's in Yeshaya, the Haftorah begins by saying, Solu, solu, pave, pave, clear the road, uh, remove the obstacles from the path. And um, in Rabbi Salvechik's Machsor, he says something interesting about this, this opening. He says, normally during the month of Elul is a time for Teshuvah where we have to take the first step. The Jewish people, um, you know, a person has to take the first step. And only then, after we take the first step, will God come and help us. However, on Yom Kippur, it's like the, the last moment and God is basically so excited and can't wait to come and, and, and rescue us that God himself comes knocking on our door, not the other way around. Normally, during the rest of the year, and even during Elul, we have to come to God. On Yom Kippur is that one day a year that God comes to us. And that's why the Haftoras is, is pave, the, pave the way, clear the road, because um, God himself is going to remove any obstacles that we have um, for doing Teshuvah, that it's that dramatic of a day. It's the only one day of the year, Rabbi Selvachik says, that we can uh, basically, that, 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 that God comes to us, not the other way around. Um, then the Haftorah uh, continues by saying, um, says the exalted and uplifted one, referring to Hashem, um, whose name is holy. God says, I live in holiness, but I am with the despondent and the shafal ruach, the low-spirited, to revive the heart of the despondent. And the commentaries here say that God's greatness, his, 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 um, his greatness truly comes not from the fact that he lives in holiness, even though that's true. His true greatness comes from his chesed, comes from his kindness. And that's why God is with the despondent, with the lowly, um, with the people that need their heart revived, that uh, God's true greatness, his true, the reason he's really truly exalted and uplifted is not because he is so holy, rather it's because he's willing to sort of lower himself to, to help the, 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 um, the less fortunate. Uh, so Hashem will not forever be wrathful because God himself made their neshama. So it says, the, so God basically says, I will not, you know, always be angry at the Jewish people because I have a little bit of me in them. Um, so God is saying, you know, I, I have reason to be wrathful to the Jewish people because they've disobeyed me. Nonetheless, because there's sort of a, um, because God's, you know, sort of a put, you know, uh, the, 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 a little bit of himself in, in the, in human beings, in the Jewish people, then he, um, can't be wrathful forever. Uh, then, uh, the Haftorah continues by saying, um, I became angry because of sinful thieves. I struck him. I hid myself. Uh, I became angry because he continued his wayward ways. The commentaries here say God is angry at this thief 
because if God wasn't angry, basically it would incentivize, it would encourage a, a, a thief to continue stealing. So God basically has to be angry and strike, uh, you know, and angrily strike at this thief in order to stop him and have him change his wayward ways. Then um, Yaptor continues, but when I see his ways, and this is referring to when I see the thief, when I see that his ways are changed towards the good, I'll heal him. I will guide him and I will console him. And this is sort of this idea that, uh, as we read in a recent, a recent Parsha, that, that God um, removes the orla, removes the foreskin that's on our hearts, that basically God, once we start returning, God himself will, will help us get there. Then um, the Aftor continues, I creating, I create. I create speech of lips that say shalom, shalom for the far and near. So God is saying that there will be peace. There will be shalom, not only for the people that are near to God. You know, it might make sense that the people near to God will have peace. Even for the ones far from God, as long as they're headed in the right direction, then God will provide peace for them. Then it says, um, but the rishayim, the evil people, uh, the wicked people, the ones going in the wrong direction, um, they will be like um, the sea that has no rest. The sea is always, you know, uh, has waves. It's all, there's always commotion in the sea, and it's always bringing up sort of uh, dirt and mud, the Aftorah says, um, and it has no rest. And it says that's the, the wicked people will have no rest, will have no peace. God says there will be no peace for the wicked. Then um, the Aftorah continues, cry out, uh, don't restrain, say in a loud voice, raise your voice like a shofar. And of course, the shofar we hear throughout Elul and throughout the Yom Yom Noraim, um, the shofar is, of course, the sound that's supposed to wake us up. It's a wake-up call. And um, it's saying that, that you know, you should raise your voice like the shofar and, um, and, uh, and, and, and then once we raise our voice, well, uh, Yeshaya is instructed that he should tell the people, tell the Jewish people of their sinful ways so that they can work on Teshuvah. And then the next section of the Haftorah um, talks about Teshuvah, Tefillah, and Sadaka, which all three of those things are mentioned um, throughout the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur davening of Teshuvah, Tefillah, and Sadaka, are ways um, to, to return. Um, and uh, then, so so I'll get into sort of the details of how the Haftorah talks about all three of these concepts. So it says, seek out Hashem yom yom, um, every day, daily, with, or the, the, the Jewish people, it's saying basically the Jewish people are trying to seek out Hashem every day, yom yom, um, with the desire to know my ways, like a nation that acts righteously and doesn't abandon its God, uh, its God's justice. So, um, and, 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 and then the Haftorah continues that, the Jewish people inquire about my laws of justice and they want nearness to God. Um, so basically, the, the, this, this whole section is like the Jewish people are, are it, it seems like externally, every single day, the Jewish people are, are doing the mitzvot, are, are doing things that seem like they should be doing. They're, they're desiring to know God's ways. Um, they try to act righteously. It seems like all good. It's they're inquiring after the the laws of justice. They want to be near to God. However, there's a fatal flaw in this approach, and um, it's because the Jewish people complain to God, "Why do we fast and you don't see? Why do we afflict our soul and you don't know?" And um, and then and 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 then the Haftorah continues by saying, 
Biyom Tzamchem, on the day of your fast, meaning on the day of Yom Kippur. This is really focusing on Yom Kippur itself. On your fast day, you seek out personal gain and to extort your debts. Um, and it's the Aftor says you fast for grievance, strife. You're you're always looking to strike with a wicked fist. And the Haftorah here, um, Yeshaya, is really criticizing the Jewish people for saying, on the outside, it seems like you seek out God every day. It seems like you want to be close to God. It seems like you inquire after the laws. However, when it comes down to it, um, you're always looking at an angle of, you know, you, the the Ben Adam Lachavero, the, the mitzvahs of um, fellow man, doing kindness, giving charity, um, and all those things are lacking, that we are always, it, it complains that the Jewish people are expecting something to come from the fact that they fast on Yom Kippur, even though on Yom Kippur itself, on your day of fasting, literally and ironically, on Yom Kippur itself, you, um, you know, you're, you're, you're looking to extort your debts. The Radak explains, why is it that on Yom Kippur itself you try to extort your debts? The Radak explains it's because, um, you know, in, in back in, in his day and even in, of course, today's day and age, probably you see the most people in Shul on Yom Kippur. So it's very likely that a creditor sees the his debtor in Shul and tries to get that guy to pay him even on Yom Kippur itself, and the, 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 the creditor doesn't see the irony in trying to extort the debts um, from the debtor. And it's saying when the guy does that, he's, he, it, it, the fact that he's fasting, the fact that he's afflicting himself, all of that is for naught. Um, and uh, another, you know, um, and it says, the Aftar continues, it says, you don't uh, fast to make your voice heard above um, uh, and what it means, your voice heard above, which means like basically to, to get to, to God. And it's interesting, one of the commentaries writes about how it's a little bit ironic that, um, you know, all the shuls read this Haftorah, of course, on, on Shachrit, on Yom Kippur, because still today, maybe even more so today than ever, there's a lot of Jews that only go to shul on Yom Kippur, which is great. However, um, the, you know, as, as Yeshaya explains, that just going on to, to Shul on Yom Kippur alone, and even on Yom Kippur itself, you're, you're trying to find the people that owe you money and hunt them down. Um, you know, if that's your approach, then that's so superficial that God won't listen to that call. And the irony that uh, one of the commentaries talks about, the irony is that on this day, that, that even Yeshaya's words, Yeshaya's words are saying, take things seriously. Don't just read them superficially. Don't just think that you can fast. And the Haftorah continues. It says, can you only bow your head and wear sackcloth and ashes? Uh, the Haftorah says it's not enough. That, that, that the irony is that, you know, is it enough that we just wear sackcloth, that we fast, that we, you know, that, that we go to Shoal on Yom Kippur, even when we're looking for our, the people that owe us money? Um, and, and we think that that's going to be enough to, to, to have a kapara, to, to have closeness with God. It's not enough. Um, we have to have something internal. We have to be, uh, not just internal, but we have to feel for, for the other, for, for, for our fellow Jews. Um, and, and just to get back to the irony, the irony is that we read this Haftorah, 
Um, this Haftorah is saying, don't, th- don't take things superficially. Don't ignore these words. Yet, with that being said, who, you know, who reads these words in Shoal and really understands what they mean um, and doesn't read them superficially? That the words themselves that say, don't read things superficially, don't be superficial, these words themselves are in fact in and of themselves read superficially. That's uh, the irony one of the commentaries talks about. Um, but Yeshaya is warning against, don't just think that you can do things on the outside. You can wear sackcloth, you can bow your head, you can fast, but at the same time, you try to find your debtors, you seek out your debtors because you see them in shul um, and think that you're going to somehow uh, be closer to God that way. Rather, uh, the Haftorah says, this is the fast that Hashem chooses. He, Hashem says you should break the shackles of wickedness, untie the bonds of injustice, um, and let the oppressors go free, annul perversions, um, as if it was annul perversions. And uh, continues, break, rather, what you should do is break your bread, break uh, your bread for the hungry, bring the poor into your home, clothe the naked, don't hide from your relatives. Another interpretation instead of don't hide from your relatives is... Um, <clears throat> Uh, consider the naked as if it was your own flesh. Um, so basically what this whole section here is saying is instead of what what God wants you to fast on Yom Kippur, what, what the message and the, the, the idea should be on Yom Kippur is that we should be looking out for our fellow Jews. We should untie the bonds of injustice, let the oppressed go free, and we should break bread for the hungry, you know, bring the poor into our homes, clothe the naked, and as I said, um, don't look away from your own family or another interpretation is view all those people that are hungry, that are poor, that are naked, view them as if they were your own flesh. And just as your own flesh doesn't want to be naked, just as your own, your, you know, you yourself don't want to be hungry or poor. So too, if you see someone that, that is in one of those states, is one of those conditions, you should feel for them just as if they were you. Um, then the Aftori continues, then your light will burst out and healing will sprout. So if we do all those things, if we look out for our fellows, for our fellow, then um, light will burst out, healing will sprout. Um, our good deeds will go before us and Hashem will gather us in. It's interesting, you know, that our good deeds will go before us. That as I mentioned in a previous Aftorah, that it's like we can wear our you know, our clothing can be made of tzedakah, our clothing can be made of, of good deeds, of righteousness. And here too, sort of, what what sort of guards us, what uh, is goes in front of us and protects us is nothing else other than tzedakah as our good deeds. V'halach l'fanecha tzedakah, that our, our good deeds go before us. Um, then the Haftorah says, you'll cry out and Hashem will say, will respond, hineni, I am here. Um, then, the Aftar continues, if you remove perversion, finger-pointing, evil speech, um, and offer your soul to the hungry. Um, it, so the point of this is basically that, again, don't, you know, don't think that you can be finger-pointing and, and speak, you know, evil speech and still get away with it. Um, rather, we should offer our soul to the hungry. And what this is talking about is, the commentaries say, it's not talking about a um, physical hunger, Rather, it's talking about a spiritual hunger, that if we see someone that's hungry to learn, we should offer our knowledge to them, our, our Torah to them, and allow them to learn. 
Um, it, one of the commentaries also say when it says finger pointing, it means that you, that uh, that we shouldn't even have the feeling of even pointing one finger in the direction in the wrong direction. That we should entirely be pointed um, in 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 our righteous direction. Then it says your light will shine in darkness. Your gloom will be like noon. That basically this idea is that that when we follow the Torah, that uh, we'll, we'll have a shine about us and um, we'll, we'll be as bright as noontime, even even in times of gloom. Then it says, um, Hashem will, will guide you, um, will feed you during droughts, will strengthen your bones, and you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. It's interesting, commentaries here talk about how, you know, we, we read about how you should go out of your way to... Um, to, to feed others, to to bring the poor into your home, to clothe the naked, to untie injustice. You know, it goes on and on, and all those things cost money, cost resources. Nevertheless, the Haftor promises that we will be like a spring whose waters never fail. So, so long as our waters are constantly being used to help others, then those waters will never fail. Then the Haftor continues, you'll rebuild ancient ruins, you'll restore foundations, and you'll be called the repairer of the breach. The idea here is that, you know, we, we say, you should restore us like in the days of old. And that's basically what it's saying here, that we in the day will rebuild those things that were built in ancient times. And maybe it's a reference to the, the Beta Migdash, that eventually we we will rebuild uh, the third Beta Migdash. And it says, um, if you restrain your foot on Shabbat, it's interesting, it just uses a single term regel, uh, single term foot, not feet. Um, If you restrain your foot on Shabbat and restrain from accomplishing your own desires, and if you proclaim Shabbat to be an oneg, to be a delight, the commentaries say not only, it's not, you know, obviously we have to restrain from, you know, doing um, malacha, um, you know, doing work on Shabbat, but not only that, but if we view Shabbat as a, something that's enjoyable, something that's an oneg, something that's a delight, then that's um, and we honor Shabbat by not engaging in our own affairs or daver or daver daver, or um, this is the source that uh, this haftorah is the source for why we're not supposed to talk even we're not supposed to certainly we're not supposed to do business on Shabbat, but we're not even supposed to discuss business on Shabbat, and that comes from this week's haftorah that we're not supposed to say daver daver. Um, discuss for discuss words of business, basically um, words that don't have to do with Shabbat. Shabbat's supposed to be a day that's in- encompassing, that we even have the feeling of Shabbat, um, which would include, you know, even though talking about uh, business is not necessarily malacha, nonetheless it's still considered something that we shouldn't do. Um, then the Aftorah concludes by saying, "Then you will delight in Hashem, and um, you uh, you'll you'll." I'll mount you in the heights of the world. I'll provide your heritage. I'll provide you your heritage of Yaakov. Um, and why your heritage of Yaakov? Perhaps because Yaakov famously, when Esau said, I have a lot, Yaakov responded with, I have everything. And perhaps that's what it means that it, that uh, if, we do, if we do all these things, if we're a giving people, if we're someone that cares for other people, then... Um, will be like Yaakov that says not only when we won't be like Asaph that says I have a lot but I could have more, rather we'll be like Yaakov and it says I have everything I I'm not lacking anything, and the Aftor continues, 
um, for the mouth of Hashem has spoken. So to recap what I talked about, so the Haftorah begins, Solu, Solu, pave, pave the road, clear the road, remove obstacles from the path. Um, and I spoke about how Rabbi Soloveitchik in his Machsar says that normally in order to do Teshuvah, we have to go to God. We have to take the first step. On Yom Kippur, however, is the one day a year that God comes to us. God comes to us and says, pave the road, clear the way. I'm coming in. I'm, I myself, God himself, will remove obstacles, uh, the obstacles that block us from the path. Then says the exalted and uplifted one, this is referring to Hashem, the one whose name is holy. I live in holiness, but I'm with the despondent and the shafel ruach, the low-spirited, to revive the heart of the despondent. The commentaries here say, who is great? A great person, uh, or Hashem in this case, who is exalted and uplifted. The reason Hashem is so exalted and uplifted is not because he's so holy, but rather his holiness comes from the fact that he looks out for even the lowest, the low-spirited, the despondent. Hashem will not forever be wrathful because Hashem himself made their neshama. So it's saying God basically can't be too angry at the Jewish people because God himself, because we're his chosen people. Then it says uh, that, that I, Hashem, became angry because of sinful thieves. I struck him, hid myself. I became angry because he continued his wayward ways, that basically God had to punish this thief because otherwise, if he didn't, the thief would think that all the all the, the stealing that he was doing was actually mutter, was actually allowed. Then it says, but when I see his ways, this is talking about when he, when God sees the ways of the thief are changing and returning to, um, to God, then God himself will heal him and guide him and console him. And I said, this is like that Haftorah, like in, in the Torah that we wrote, uh, uh, like a Parsha that we read recently where it says, God will remove the foreskin from our hearts. And this, of course, is, is sort of basically that God will sort of go out of his way to help us along the path when we when we start to, 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 to make that journey. Then it says, uh, God says, I create the speech of lips, shalom, shalom for the far and near. So I said, we might expect that there's going to be peace for those that are near to God. But God says, even for those that are far to God, as long as you're heading in the right direction, you'll have shalom. But for the Rishayim, the the Torah says, for the Rishayim, for the wicked ones, um, they will be like the sea that has no rest. The sea is always in commotion, always has waves, always is moving. Um, God says, there will be no peace for the wicked. Then the Aftori continues, cry out, don't restrain, raise your voice like a shofar. I said the shofar is like this wake-up message to awaken ourselves. Um, we should raise our voice and proclaim. And then um, it says once we, uh, you know, once we cry out, then Yeshaya is instructed that he should tell the Jewish people, um, the house of, of Yaakov, that about their sinful ways, they can start on the path towards Teshuvah. And then the next uh, section of the Torah mentions these three concepts, Teshuvah, Tefillah, and Sadaka, three different ways that we mentioned throughout the davening of ways to return uh, to God. Then it says, Seek Hashem out, Yom Yom, every day, daily, with the desire to know my ways, like a nation that acts righteous and doesn't abandon its, God just, its God's justice, inquire about my laws of justice, and wanting nearness to God. And I spoke about how all of this, while it seems good on the surface, that we try to seek out God every day and all these different concepts, you know, that we, we look for God's justice, we inquire about God's laws, we want to be close to God. All those things, though, 
are really superficial, as the, as we'll see. Then it says, the, the Aftor says, why did, you know, the, or the Jewish people challenge God? And the Jewish people complain, why do we fast and you don't see us? Why do we afflict our souls and you don't know? The Jewish people are claiming, look, we, we, you know, we do things on Yom Kippur. We don't eat on Yom Kippur. We afflict ourselves. Why doesn't God respond in kind? And the and then and then they have Torah answers. God God answers why he doesn't respond. He, God answers. He says, "Biyom Samchem," on the day of our our fast, literally and ironically, on the day of Yom Kippur itself, um, you will seek out personal gain and try to extort debts. Um, from those that owe you. Um, and we uh, fast for grievance and strife, and we strike with a wicked fist. And the Radak explains, how is it even possible that on Yom Kippur itself, how is it possible that we um, try to extort our debts? And the Radak explains, basically, everyone comes to Shoal on Yom Kippur. Therefore, it's likely that a creditor sees his debtor and tries to get money from him. However, um, you know, it's interesting. The Aftor says, Bayom Samchem, on your fast, not on, this is God talking, not on my fast, not on our fast. Basically, God is saying, you decide, you know, if this is the way that you fast, if this is the way that you afflict yourself, yet you try to chase after the debts, you know, that, that are owed to you, then um, it's not my fast, it's your fast. I have nothing, God has nothing to do with it. Um, then it says, don't fast and make your voice, you, and, and, and God, God basically accuses the Jewish people, and he says, you don't, you don't fast and make your voice heard above to God, that basically um, God is, is challenging the Jewish people and saying, you're not really trying to make your voice heard above, rather all you care about is your own personal gain. Then it says, um, can you bow your head and wear sackcloth and ashes? Um, you know, can you only bow your head and wear sackcloth and ashes and think anything will will will, will come from that? Basically, the soft Torah, um, Yeshaya, is accusing the Jewish people of being superficial, of wearing sackcloth, of fasting, not eating, bowing our heads, and complaining to God, you know, look, we're afflicting ourselves. Why aren't you coming and helping us? And God basically says, don't you see the, you're, you know, the irony? You, you're, you're, you fast and, and you try to act so righteous and you try to seek out, you know, you pretend like you want to seek out God. But the reality is you don't care about your own fellow. You don't care about um, your own fellow Jew that's in pain, that, that, that's hurting. You're rather, you're just trying to extort debts that are owed to you and always looking out for your own personal gain. It's basically saying, don't you see the irony? You're, all of this stuff that you're doing is just stuff. It's just it's just uh, superficial. There's nothing meaningful about it. And the only thing that would be meaningful is if you helped your fellow Jew. Then it says, this is the fast that I choose. God says, this is the fast that I want. Rather, you should break the shackles of wickedness. You should untie the bonds of injustice. You should let the oppressed go free. You should annul perversions. Um, and then the after says, break bread for the hungry Bring poor to your home, clothe the naked, don't hide from your kin. Or I said, um, instead of don't hide from your kin, it's it, it, it says it's as if it was your own flesh. So I said that all of this is to say the fast that God wants to see is not a fast where you try to, you know, find people that owe you money. Rather, it's a fast that you are untying the bonds of injustice. You're letting the poor into your home. You're clothing naked. 
you view all of those people that are hungry and, and poor and naked as um, as if it was your own flesh, as if they were your own family, and or maybe even if they were your own self. And just as you yourself wouldn't want to be hungry, poor, and naked, so too you should look at a, a fellow Jew and if you see them hungry, poor, and naked, um, that would make you, you know, want to take action. Then it says, if you do all those things, then your light will burst out and healing will sprout. And it says, that your good deeds will go out before you and Hashem will gather you in. And I said, it's sort of similar to how our, you know, we can wear tzedakah as clothing in a previous Haftorah. And this is saying that our good deeds, our tzedakah, will go before us in our defense. Then it says, you'll cry out to Hashem and he'll say, Hineni, I'm here. And it says, um, if you remove perversion, finger pointing, evil speech, and you offer your soul to the hungry, I said this is talking about not just, you know, it's not talking about hungry in a physical sense, like they need food. Rather, it's talking about you need spiritual, your spiritual. If you see a person that's spiritually hungry, um, you should offer your soul to them. Then it says, your light will shine in darkness, your gloom will be like noon, even our darkest times will be as bright as, as, as midday. Then it says, Hashem will always guide you, will feed you during droughts, will strengthen your bones, will be like a watered garden, a spring whose waters never fail. I spoke about regardless of how much tzedakah, how much charity a person gives, um, you know, they're, they're giving to um, the poor, the, 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 the naked, the hungry, and despite all those gifts, or maybe even because of all those gifts, um, our, our water, our resources will be like a spring whose water never, never fails. Then it says, you'll rebuild ancient ruins, you'll restore foundations, um, and you'll be called the repairer of the breach that um, will kind of accomplish that message, message of Chadesha Menu Kekedem that will return in the days of old and will we'll be able to rebuild the ancient ruins. Then it says, if you restrain your foot on Shabbat and refrain from your own desires, if you proclaim Shabbat to be an oneg, a delight, this is, of course, referring to the fact that Shabbat, not only should we refrain from doing malacha, but we should even view it as a time, not, you know, as, not as a time of, a, 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 you know, a, a drag. Rather, we should view it as an onig, view it as a delight. If we view it as a delight and we honor Shabbat by not engaging in our own affairs or daber daber, which I said is sort of the um, rabbinic prohibition against even we're not supposed to do business, but we're not even supposed to talk about business. Then it says, if we do all those things, um, then you'll delight in Hashem and Hashem will mount us in the heights of the world and will provide your heritage of Yaakov. I said, Yaakov is mentioned here because when Esav said, I have a lot, Yaakov responded, I have everything. Um, and then the Haftorah says, um, from the mouth of Hashem has spoken. To read my poem, Shalom, shal uh, uh, that poem begins, if you are insincere, Hashem calls our bluff. Wearing sackcloth is not enough. Shalom, shalom for the far and near. If we cry out, Hashem will say, I'm here. And with that, uh, l'chaim, l'chaim. Go warn Ninveh of their sins, Yonah was informed. He tried to flee, but was met with a mighty storm. Yonah was swallowed by a big fish. Ninveh repented just as Hashem wished. So um, the Haftorah for Yom Kippur that we read during Mincha is the extremely famous story of Yonah, Jonah, 
and um, how he goes to Ninveh really against his will. Um, and he goes to Ninveh and tells them of their sins and ultimately gets them to repent. And this story is that we actually read the entire book of Yonah. Um, it, it's very short comparatively. Um, and we read the entire book of Yonah uh, during Mincha on Yom Kippur. And, um, you know, the story is arguably the most famous Haftorah of the entire year, the famous story of Jonah and and uh, sort of mistranslated as the whale. But in reality, uh, it uses the, the Haftorah uses the Lashon of a big fish. So getting into the famous story of Jonah. Um, so the Haftorah begins by saying the word of Hashem came to Yonah, the son, the son of Amittai, and says, Arise, go to Ninveh and call out against their wickedness. And the commentary dictators immediately pick up. We haven't really heard much about Jonah at this point ever, really. And all of a sudden, Jonah is told to do this massive mission. God tells Jonah to, to go on this massive uh, mission to, to Nineveh, which is a huge city. It's the capital of Assyria, and tell them about their wickedness and have them repent. So Jonah must have been a very special person, even though we don't really see um, you know, we, we don't really see him much else other than other than this book uh, that's about him. So, um, and the commentators say here that Yonah thought that Ninveh, the city of Ninveh, would in fact repent. And while Israel, his own people, the Jewish people, they wouldn't repent. Israel had its fair share of prophets telling Israel that they were going down, you know, on the wrong derech, down the wrong path. And the, the, the Jewish people, they wouldn't repent. And Jonah was worried that the city of Nineveh would repent and basically, um, you know, make the Jewish people look bad. Um, so, so he wanted to, uh, Jonah wanted to sort of preserve the good image of, of, of the Jewish people that, yeah, the Jewish people wouldn't repent. And he didn't want to sort of make a scene that Nineveh would in fact repent and were in a way better than the Jewish people. So to avoid that um, uncomfortable conflict, Jonah flees to Tarshish, or he tries to, to get on a boat to, to Tarshish before Hashem. He went to Yaffa. He, took, he takes a, a boat to Tarshish and he paid the fare. Commentators say, of course he paid the fare. So what's the, you know, why is the Haftorah telling us that he paid? Um, perhaps one of the commentaries say is that he paid basically the fare for everyone for, for, so he paid the fare so that nobody else would come on board because he knew that he was actually kind of basically setting himself up sort of on a on a um, on a suicide mission on purpose. He was it was a suicidal mission. Um, he knew that he would be put himself in danger on the boat, and he was hoping that God would basically strike him down and kill him on the boat trying to run and kill everyone aboard. So he tried to have the fewest number of people on board. So he paid so that he would basically be almost alone or just with very few people on the boat. Um, then the Aftora continues by saying, Hashem was not happy that he was trying to run away, and Hashem cast a mighty storm and until the ship almost nearly broke, and the sailors, the other sailors on board cried out to all of their gods, and they threw their stuff overboard to, to lighten the load. And in the meantime, though, while this major storm is happening... Yono, what's he doing? He goes to the bottom of the ship. He falls asleep. He takes a nap. And uh, the, the, the sailors are, are, are shocked. How could this man, how could Yonah be falling asleep during this massive storm where their ship is almost broken? And he, he's awoken. He says, how can you sleep? Call, you know, call to your God. Um, and then the, the storm continues. 
and um, and and eventually these sailors say, okay, let's cast lots to determine who is at fault. And the Haftorah uses the um, the the lot the, the term for lots here is in plural. Uh, and 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 the Malbim explains the Malbim explains that many lots were cast, many rounds of basically this lottery were cast, and every single time. Um, the lot fell on fell on Yona. It was it was very clearly Yona's fault. So um, the the sailors start asking questions to Yona. Who are you? What's your job? Where are you from? Where are you going? What's your land? All these different questions. And Yona responds very very simply. Yona Yona says, "I'm an Ivri, and I fear Hashem, uh, that who is the God of the heavens, who made both land, who made both dry land and sea." Um, and the commentators here talk quite a bit about why is this interesting word Ivri chosen. Normally, the Jewish people are referred to Yisrael or Am Yisrael, people of Israel. So why is this word Ivri, this sort of alternate name for the Jewish people, chosen? Um, you know, I guess best translated as, as a Hebrew. Um, but Ivri literally means to cross over. And... Um, so uh, there are two interpretations that I heard on why he uses the word Ivri. One is, is because if he said Yisrael, this might be referring to all of the Jewish people, which even includes the, the ten lost tribes. Um, however, you could also view it as referring to, um, you could also view it as where Ivri only refers to basically um, the two tribes. Uh, you know, it's only referring to the, the nation, uh, the tribe of Yehuda that um, were sincere to God. So he was saying, don't blame the other 10 tribes. Um, you know, even just the tribe of Yehuda isn't, isn't so great. Um, that's one interpretation of why he used the word Ivri. Another a very fascinating interpretation um, that Rabbi Sachs talks about. So Rabbi Sachs talks about basically, you know, there are all these questions that the, the, the sailors are asking. Who are you? What's your job? Where are you from? Where are you going? What's your land? All these different questions. Yona doesn't really answer any of them outside of saying he is an Ivri and that he fears God, the God of the heavens, who bade both land and sea. And um, uh, and uh, Rabbi Sachs says basically, how do you answer the question, "Who are you?" Really, the only answer, the way, only way to answer that is to say, "I am who my ancestors are." And who are our ancestors? None other than Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. Uh, and, and therefore he calls himself an Ivory, just like Avraham did. Um, and uh, one other, so, uh, so, so just to move on a little bit in the Haftorah to explain another sort of reason for this Ivory name, um, that the men are extremely frightened, the other men on board are extremely frightened, and they ask him, what have you done? And the Haftorah says that the men knew, that, knew from beforehand that they were trying that that Jonah was trying to flee from Hashem because Jonah told them when he got on the boat. So Jonah told um, J- Jonah told the, the 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 sailors when they got on the boat that he was trying to flee from his God, and they didn't have a problem with it then. Now all of a sudden they're so frightened. What are they frightened about? And the the um, <clears throat> commentaries here say that the the way that basically idol worship worked in those days is that they viewed every parcel of land had their own god. And basically, if you are outside of that parcel of land, you are out of their jurisdiction, out of that God's jurisdiction. So it's like, you know, we have this concept in, in, in law that you're under, let's say, American law when you're in America. But if you leave and go to Canada, then you're under Canadian law. If you leave and go to Mexico, you're under Canadian, you know, you're, you're under Mexican law. 
um, and, and and so on and so forth, as where and, and that's how the the gods used to work back then, according to the uh, idol worshippers. According to the idol worshippers, they thought that their gods basically only controlled certain parts, certain parts of the of the globe. So they found it totally reasonable that um, a person would try to flee their god by basically leaving the country. That was how you did it. Um, however, when he when Jonah tells them that his god, that that Hashem, is in Ivri. Ivri means to cross over. Ivri means that God has jurisdiction over the entire world. He has jurisdiction over the heavens, over the land, over the sea. And that's when they start to get really frightened. The men were very frightened and said, what have you done? Even though they knew from beforehand that he was trying to run from his God, um, they weren't frightened then because they thought, well, the way to run from your, the way to get out of, you know, harm's way is just by moving to another country. However, once they realized that, that Yonah's God, that Hashem, was controlled the entire world, you know, the heavens, the earth, the land, then, um, and, and the sea, then, um, the, 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 the sailors realized, wait a minute, just running away from God doesn't work. You can't run away from God. And maybe that's the entire point of the Haftorah, why we read this on Yom Kippur, is this idea that we might think we can run away from God. We might think that we can do things sort of in, in, in private and, and get away with it. However, this Haftorah is telling us no matter where we go, even to the furthest, you know, uh, furthest flung parts of land, even if we try to make our way to, to uh, you know, to, to, to Tarshish, just as Yonah did, um, ultimately God will follow us. We can't escape the jurisdiction of Hashem. And, uh, and that's what the, the people, that's what the other sailors come to realize that, wait a minute, we can't escape the jurisdiction of Hashem. He even is controlling us here in the waters. Um, so they become very, very frightened, and uh, they they say, "What should we do? Um, what should we do to you to stop the storm?" And Yonah tells them, "Throw me into the ocean, and uh, everything will be calm." But the men, the the sailors, they are too. They're they're not murderers. They're good people. So they try to shore. They try to row their way to shore. But they couldn't make it to shore. The storm was too strong. Then um, the uh, the the sailors they plea. They make a plea to to, to Hashem and say, "Don't harm us for killing uh, your subject for killing Yona. We're you know we don't want to kill innocent blood. It's just we have no other choice." So they throw Yona overboard, and all of a sudden the storm stopped completely. Everything was calm. And when everything was calm, once they threw him over, the people, even they, the, the, the people on board even feared God more than they ever had before. And they slaughtered sacrifices and they vowed, um, they made vows, which the commentaries say that means that they vowed to convert to Judaism. Then, uh, miraculously, a dog guddle, uh, a big fish, swallowed Jonah. And Jonah stayed in the fish for three days and three nights. And the commentaries say, during this time, he was being, um, the mysteries of the, of the world were being revealed to him. Then Yonah, he prays to Hashem from the insides of the fish. Rashi explains, um, the, the word for fish here changes from, at first it was dag, which means fish, uh, in, in sort of the, um, the male version of fish, dag. And then it switches to daga, which is the female version of fish. So two explanations I heard for why it, it switches like this. Rashi's explanation is that originally a male fish swallowed him, 
and then he was basically too comfortable in there. It was so, uh, you know, males are bigger normally than females. He had so much room, he was able to move around, and he wasn't uncomfortable enough to have to pray to God. So God had this, had had um, the male fish spit him out, and then a female fish swallowed him up. And Rashi explains the female's stomach is smaller because it's full of eggs, and he was so uncomfortable that he was forced to pray. Another interpretation of why it switches from dag to daga is that originally, almost the opposite interpretation, originally um, he was swallowed by a fish that was like mean, a fish that was, a, a, you know, like had male aggression. And after being there for three days, he sort of felt more at home, he felt more at peace, and it changed to a female fish, a more gentle fish. Um, and, uh, okay, so moving on, so Yonah prays, I called in distress to God, and God answers me. From the from the belly of grave, he heard my voice. From the belly of the grave, basically, he was way, way down in the ocean. He says, you cast me into the depths of the sea. The waves passed over me, yet I'll gaze at your holy temple once again. So even though it seemed like he was in the depths of the sea, he was gone, he was sunk. Um, he, he's Jonah's praising God that he'll get to gaze at the holy temple once again. Um, and this also... Uh, could be kind of an argument that he's saying, look, don't send me again to Nineveh. Rather, let me just be a servant of yours and go to the Holy Temple. Just be a, a normal Jew. Don't have me go on all these crazy missions uh, to, to try to have, you know, big cities repent. Let me just stay at home in Jerusalem and go to your Holy Temple. Um, and, and then he continues, the waters surround me, the reeds entangled my head. I drop to the bottom of the earth you know, I dropped to the bottom of the, of the, of the mountains. Um, yet God lifted me from the pit. Um, and my soul was faint and I remembered God and prayer came to me and the sailors, it, then it says that people, um, watch or guard false vanities, but forsake their idols kindness. Um, and the point here, this is referring to the sailors that the sailors are, you know, were consumed with things that were fake. You know, their, their idols, their idolatry was completely fake, Shekhar. But um, uh, uh, because of, and, and maybe his argument was one of the commentaries say, because I sort of converted them, because they realized that what they were following was fake and you're the true God, maybe because he converted them, then he should not have to, you know, save me because I converted them and not because, um, and, and don't make me go to Nineveh. Um, then uh, he continues, I will make sacrifices to you. I will fulfill Hashem's, I will fulfill the vows of Hashem's salvation. And then the fish uh, spits him out onto dry land. Then um, for a second time, once he spit onto dry land, for a second time, Yonah is once again told by God to go to Nineveh and tell them of their sins. So this time around, Yonah has no choice. Yonah, he does go to that big city, the capital of Assyria. He goes to Nineveh, the great city. It was a three-day journey. Again, three days. Interesting. He spent three days in the fish and another three days on the journey. Something must be special about three days. Yonah, he calls out to the city. He warns the city. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And perhaps... Um, one of the commentaries say this is why he was comfortable delivering the, delivering the message the second time. The first time he was just going to say, you know, you've been wicked, you've been evil. And this time around, he says in 40 days, your city will be overturned. And the commentaries say such an explicit and fearful wor warning that your city is going to be overturned in 40 days. They might just, the, the people of Nineveh 
may just repent out of self-preservation, just to preserve themselves, and not because they wanted to truly do teshuva. It was just a way to, you know, uh, to preserve themselves so that they would live, but not out of out of true repentance. And therefore, because of that, then uh, basically it doesn't make the Jews look so bad. The Jews were warned, you've been sinners, you've been, you know, changed your ways, and the Jews didn't do that. So if somehow or other they were willing to change, if, if, if the people of Nineveh, the non-Jews, changed their ways somehow simply by saying, here are your sins, and the Jewish people didn't respond, and the people of Nineveh did, it would make the Jews look bad. But now he's telling them, you're going to have in 40 days, um, you know, your city is going to be completely overturned, and um, they, they uh, repent, and, um, and, and, and therefore maybe it makes, you know, it, it makes the Jews not look so bad because the Jews were never given such an explicit warning. In 40 days, your city is going to be destroyed. So maybe it makes the Jews not look so bad if Ninveh repents here because they were just doing out of self-preservation maybe. But Ninveh immediately accepts this decree. They believed in God, it says. They wore sackcloth. They fasted uh, from great to small. And then it says the matter reached the king. Basically, the king was not the one that decreed this, um, this, this morning that you know this this fast and this this uh, mass repentance. Rather, it was really the other way around. The people began fasting, and then the king really had no other choice other than to accept it. And he took his royal clothes off, um, and he wore sackcloth. He sat on ashes. The king decreed no man or animal should eat or drink. The men and the animals um, will wear sackcloth. And call out to Hashem. And then it says, do teshuva, you know, return from your evil ways. Don't do, don't do evil. And, uh, re- and, and also return um, what you took in, in, uh, through, through robbery. So all those things that you stole, return them to their rightful owners. And then God will, so that God will turn away from his wrath so we don't die. And God saw that they had done teshuva. God saw that they had repented from their evil ways. And the Mishnah in Tanis mentions something really fascinating. It says, it's interesting, what makes God basically um, decide that the Jewish, that, that the people of Nineveh won't be destroyed is not from the fact that they wore sackcloth, not from the fact that they were, that they, they fasted, not from all these superficial acts of repentance. Rather, it was from true repentance. God saw that they repented from their evil ways. That's what God responded to. It wasn't. It wasn't a fake repentance. It wasn't a you know as I, as we read about in the morning, um, uh, in, in in the morning, um, uh, that you know during Shacharit of Yom Kippur, that Haftorah says that you know don't 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 allow Yom Kippur to be just an exterior day, a day of, uh, 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 of that, that you fake it, and you can see here clearly these people of Nineveh did not fake it. They repented. The reason God saves them is from their evil ways, not because they fasted, not because they wore sackcloth. Maybe the only reason they wore sackcloth and fasted is just to basically encourage them to repent in a real way. But the repentance is the ichor. The repentance is the main thing. And all the other stuff is just that. It's just stuff, wearing sackcloth, fasting. That's not the point. The point is true repentance, true change from evil ways. Then the Haftorah continues by saying that God relented from the destruction of the decree. And Yonah was displeased greatly and angered. And the displeased greatly, it basically is used the word ra, evil. Um, and Yonah, he was upset. Um, it used the word ra twice. He was upset twice. What was he upset twice about? 
The first thing he was upset about is that he was worried he'd be accused as a false prophet. Basically, he said in 40 days, unconditionally, your city, Nineveh, is going to be completely destroyed. What happened? It wasn't destroyed. So logically, everyone would say, look, you're, uh, you're a fake. You're, you're a charlatan. You're not a real prophet. You know, it's like if a person says, um, you know, global warming, it's going to destroy the world. Uh, you know, and, and then um, all of a sudden, you know, all of us are driving uh, electric cars and the world isn't destroyed. We might, we might say to all those people that were warning us, we might say, you're fake, you're a charlatan, the world wasn't destroyed. But really, it was because of the changes we did. You know, so that was sort of this, what, what he was afraid of here, that he was afraid of being called a false prophet because the city wasn't destroyed. So the people might look back and say there was never a decree against us. However, there was actually a decree. It's just that they changed their ways and annulled that decree. Then um, the second reason he was worried and uh, he, he was greatly distressed is like I talked about how the fact that Nineveh repented, yet the Jewish people, you know, God's chosen people, they themselves didn't repent. Nineveh, this group of idol worshipers, um, they were quicker to repent than the Jewish people. That looks very bad on the Jewish people. Then it says, please Hashem, um, it was because of this that I tried to flee um, to, to, to Tarshish uh, because I knew that you were um, a merciful God that was slow to anger and had Rav Chesed had a lot of kindness. And again, this is basically talking about how, you know, Yonah knew that this decree, he knew in his heart this decree would be overturned um, if if the people of Nineveh did Teshuvah. And they did just that, and, and that's what uh, he was worried about. And then, you know, uh, Yonah continues by saying, take my soul, death, my death is better than my life. And Hashem responds sharply. Hashem says, to do good upsets you, that, you know, uh, basically, one way to read this Haftorah is that this is a, a lesson in education. Hashem was educating um, his new prophet, Yonah. And Yonah, at first, is always looking out for his own interests. Um, Yonah is always looking for an angle. I don't want to look bad. You know, I don't want to be accused of being a false prophet. I don't want the Jewish people looking worse than the nation of Nineveh. Rather, Hashem says, don't worry about how you look. Just worry about does doing good upset you? Are you happy to do good or are you upset to do good? Um, and obviously you should be happy to do good. Um, then Yonah leaves the city. He makes a sukkah. He makes a, a booth in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Basically, what does this mean to see what would happen? The commentaries say he wants to see would they go back to their ways after those 40 days ended or was it a true teshuva and they would, um, you know, they, they would be a transformed city, a better city a more uh, ethical city. Hashem makes a tree grow over Yonah, or it's not a tree necessarily, rather um, it's called a, it's called a uh, kikayon, um, which is either a tree or a bush or some kind of vegetation that grows over Yonah and it provides him a lot of shade. Um, and, uh, and, and he was relieved. Uh, Yonah, Yonah rejoiced over this, over this uh, tree. And uh, perhaps Yonah rejoiced because he was happy that God viewed his plan to see what would, what would happen with Nineveh after 40 days. He viewed that as the right plan. So then, but then God sends um, a worm to kill the tree. So God was, you know, built the tree, but one night later, he sends a worm to kill the tree. And the hot sun and the harsh um, and, and hot eastern wind came and beat down, the sun beat down on Yonah, and Yonah felt faint. 
Um, he again said, death, my death is better than my life. And here Hashem says, why do you grieve over the kikayon, this, this tree or this, this uh, bush? And Yonah responds, I am aggrieved to death. And Hashem responds, you take pity on the kikayon. You take pity on this tree that you didn't labor on, you didn't grow. All you did was sit under it and enjoy its shade. Um, you only lived one night, um, one, one day and one night under it. Yet, Hashem challenges Jonah. Hashem says, I shouldn't take pity on Nineveh with over 120,000 people in it who don't know their right hand from their left hand. Um, and this is perhaps talking about don't know their right hand from their left hand, meaning perhaps that they were simple people, um, the, the people of Nineveh. They were ignorant, you know, the lack of a better term. They didn't even know their right hand from their left hand, and God feels a certain compassion for them. Now that they know what's right, um, you know, they basically, they just needed a little bit of musr. They needed a little bit of uh, corrective talking, constructive criticism. And once they were told which hand was their right hand, which hand was their left hand, they were in better order. They were in better shape. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking about how in the, in the, in, um, the Torah, we read about how you should follow what the, what the, 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 the chachamim, what the sages tell us, even if they tell us that our right hand is our left hand and our left hand is our right hand. And, um, what this means, Rashi says, is that even if we're, it means we're facing in the wrong direction. If our right is our left and our left is our right, it means we have to turn around to be facing the right direction. And perhaps that's what the nation of Ninveh needed. They needed a little bit of a talk to say, hey, you're headed in the wrong direction. Turn around. Your right hand is your left. Your left is your right. Turn around, flip around. And once you turn around and do teshuva, which means to return, once you turn in the right direction, then everything will be good. Then um, we get a little bit of a quote from Micha that says, Mi kal kamocha, who is like you, God, who pardons sin, overlooks transgressions for the remnant of his heritage, um, who doesn't maintain wrath forever, who desires chesed, he will once again show us mercy and suppress our faults and cast sins in the depths of the sea, grant truth to Yaakov. Uh, Truth here is maybe referring to the fact that the Jewish people were led into Israel Grant chesed to Abraham. Chesed is referring to perhaps rebuilding of the second Beit Hamikdash that was uh, only possible with the help of the Persian king. Um, as you swore to our forefathers in the days of old, in the Mime Kedem. So to recap the Torah, I spoke about how this is the very famous story of Yonah. We read the entire book and we read it on the Yom Kippur uh, for Mincha. Um, we read it for Mincha during uh, on, on Yom Kippur. So uh, this is. Um, the, the word of Hashem comes to Yonah, the son of Amittai, and says, Arise, go to Ninveh, call out against their wickedness. And Ninveh is, of course, the famous capital of Assyria. And I spoke about how at this point in time, when Yonah is kind of a nobody. Uh, he must be someone special, but we don't really know anything about him other than the fact that God decides that he's worthy of being sent to Ninveh to, to save their city. Um, then Yonah um, was worried, perhaps, that Ninveh would repent while Israel hasn't repented and it would make the Jewish people look bad. So Yonah, in an attempt to perhaps maybe not make a mockery of the Jewish people, his own people, he flees to Tarshish um, before Hashem and he tries to, he goes to Yaffa, he gets a boat to go to Tarshish, he pays the fare. I said he pays the fare for other people so that they wouldn't go on the boat um, because he knew he was putting himself purposefully in danger. Um, so he, he pays off everyone else 
to, so that they would not also be in danger. Then Hashem casts a mighty storm and the ship is almost broken. The sailors cry out to all their gods. He, they throw off all their stuff overboard. And Yonah, he falls asleep. Uh, he doesn't care that there's a storm. And the people say, how can you sleep? Go call on your God. Pray. And they eventually they decide to cast lots to determine who is at fault. And every single time, the lot always falls on Yonah. And the Malbin explains that, yeah, there were a bunch of lots, and um, every single time it fell on Yonah. Then the people tell us, the, 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 the people on the boat say, tell us who you are. You know, what's your job? Where are you from? What's your land? Where are you going to? All these questions. Yonah responds very simply, I'm an Ivri, um, and I fear Hashem, the God of the heavens, that made both sea and dry land. And, um, and then the... Uh, the the men were were very frightened, and they say, "What have you done?" Uh, the men knew, and, and then the Haftorah says that the men knew that he was trying to flee from Hashem because they told him that at the beginning. Um, okay, so I spoke about what does this mean, Ivri? It's an interesting term. Ivri literally means to cross over, um, but it's also referred to sort of as a Hebrew. But it's an unusual way to say things. Normally, you would say an Israelite, um, a Israeli, not a not an Ivri. So why is Ivri chosen? So Rabbi Sachs, um, he mentions, he says, you know, and, and the other question is, uh, Yonah, he, he's asked all these questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your land? What's your job? All he responds is, I'm an Ivri, um, you know, and, and, and my God is, controls everything. What kind of answer is that? He didn't answer what his job is. He didn't answer where he's going. What kind of question is that? Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Sachs un, un, understands when you're asked, who are you? Your only true answer is, you know, who my ancestors are, where my roots are, and where are our roots from? None other from Yitzchak, Yaakov, um, and Avram, our forefathers, and famously Avram called himself an Ivri. Um, and I also spoke about how, so one opinion of why he's called, he calls himself an Ivri is because he only, he doesn't want to include the 10 tribes, the 10 lost tribes. Another reason he calls himself an Ivri, um, and I think maybe a more compelling reason is that an Ivri means to cross over. And when they were initially told that, um, when, when the people in the boat were initially told from Yonah, Yonah said, I'm trying to run away from my God. They said, okay, that's fair because it used to be that they believed that um, idol worshippers, their God basically only followed them from, um, you know, the, the, their God only controlled one little part of the world. So basically, it's just like countries. You know, if you run away from uh, America to Canada, all of a sudden you're under Canada's jurisdiction, not America's jurisdiction. Or similarly, if you run to any other country, you're under their jurisdiction, no longer um, the country that you were in previously. And that's how they, they viewed that gods used to work also, that you were under sort of the dominion of a certain god in one place, but to get out of that dominion, you just had to leave the, leave the country. It was that simple. So they said, fine, you're escaping from your god, get on the boat, you know, and, and you'll leave him. But why they were so afraid, they were so frightened, is because they realized, wait a minute, God is, he's an ivory. Ivory means to cross over, meaning God crosses over. God doesn't have a jurisdiction. God is, doesn't just rule in one country, no matter where you are. Even if you're going to Tarshish, God still has control over you. And, um, and, and that's why they were so frightened. They said, wait a minute, your plan to run away from God clearly is a mistake because God controls everything. It's not possible to run away. Then the men, um, so, so they, they ask him, what should we do to stop the storm? Yonah responds, throw me overboard, throw me into the sea, and everything will be calm. But the men 
they tried to row to shore, but they couldn't do it. Um, he says, don't, you know, and then they say, don't blame us, Hashem, for killing this innocent man. And they throw him overboard um, and the sea stops and they fear Hashem and they slaughter a sacrifice to God and they vow to convert to Judaism. Then this big fish, this dog gadol, uh, swallows up Yonah. Yonah stays in the fish for three days and three nights where he's taught many revealed mysteries. Then Yonah prays to Hashem from the innards of the fish. Here the fish is referred to as daga. First it was referred to as dag, which is the male version of fish. Then it's referred to as daga, which is the female version. Rashi explains this is maybe because the male version um, was too comfortable. And the female version, females are usually a little bit smaller, and this, their stomach was so full of eggs, basically it made Jonah uncomfortable to be in the female, um, that, that, that sort of the male fish spit him up, and the female fish swallowed him, but the female fish's stomach was so much smaller that he was forced to pray to God. Another interpretation is almost the opposite. The male fish is sort of the more aggressive one, and eventually he became so comfortable in the fish's belly that it became more of like a gentle female fish. Um, so then Yonah prays, I called in distress to God and he answered me from the belly of the grave. He heard my voice. You cast me into the depths of the sea. The waves passed over me. Yet um, I, I will, you know, continue to, to gaze at your holy temple. Basically, just let me gaze at your holy temple. Don't make me go again to Nineveh. The waters surround me. The reeds entangled my head. I dropped to the bottom of the mountains. Um, let, yet you lifted me from the pit, Hashem. My soul is faint. I remembered God and prayer came to me. The sailors watch, fall, the, 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 um, you know, it's referring to the sailors here, that they they guard false vanities. Basically, they're into idol worship. They're into falsehood. Um, yet their idols forsake them. Um, and and basically, this is saying, in my, you know, I, I taught them that their gods are useless and I converted them to Judaism. In that merit, don't make me go uh, to Nineveh. God, uh, Yonah continues, I will make sacrifices to you. I will fulfill the vows of Hashem's salvation. And the fish ultimately spews Yonah out, spits him out into dry land. Then again, for the second time, Yonah is once again told by God to go to Nineveh and tell them of their sins. Yonah, he goes to Nineveh, the great city, um, which is a three-day journey. Yonah calls out, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. This sounds like it's unconditional. Yet, as we see, this actually, this decree never happened. And perhaps the reason he was willing to go the second time is because he was, he was, you know, that, uh, he wasn't worried that this would look bad on the Jewish people because he was worried the first time it would look bad for the Jewish people. You know, the Jewish people were continuously told you're sinning, change your ways, and they didn't change their ways. However, if Yonah told Ninveh the exact same message and Ninveh did change their ways, it would make them look a lot better than the Jews. However, Yonah says, this message, your city is going to be destroyed in 40 days. It's more of a, uh, it's more, it's so, it's such a threat that it's almost, it makes sense that they would just want to save themselves out of self-preservation, not because they wanted to do uh, teshuva. Um, so therefore it makes them not look, you know, so good. It makes them not as comparable to the Jewish people because the Jewish people were only warned about their sins, not about an explicit end date. Ninveh believed in God and they wore sackcloth. They fasted from great to small. The matter reached the king. Basically, it started with the people, then it reached the king. He also, he took off his royal clothes. He wore sackcloth, sat on ashes. The king decreed no man or animal will drink or eat, um, and they should wear sackcloth, and they should call out to God, do teshuva from your evil ways, and return that that you stole, and God will turn away his wrath so that we don't die. 
and God saw that they repented from their evil ways. And the Mishnah and Tanis mentions here, very notably, maybe the reason we read this even on Yom Kippur, is the fact that God didn't decide to um, to annul their, their decree because he saw them wearing sackcloth, or he saw them sitting on ashes, or because they were fasting. The only reason that God annulled their decree is because they repented from their evil ways. So then why did they do all those things, wear sackcloth, fast, sit on ashes? It's to get them in the mood. But ultimately, the only thing that actually matters at the end of the day was the fact that they stopped doing their evil ways. All those superficial things aren't useful, only um, stopping your evil ways. Haftorah continues, God relented from the destructive decree, and Yonah was very displeased. He was angry. And uh, the Haftorah uses the word ra, evil, twice, because he, he was displeased for two reasons. One reason is because he was worried that the people of Nineveh would accuse him of being a false prophet. Basically, he, he, you know, he warned people of Nineveh, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. 40 days later, they, wouldn't, they weren't destroyed, so maybe he was a false prophet. However, the real answer is, of course, he wasn't a false prophet. It's because they changed their ways and had that decree annulled. The second reason he might be worried is because Ninveh repented, yet the Jewish people, his people, didn't repent. Please, Hashem, Yonah um, continues, please, Hashem, it was because of this, it was because of the fact that I was worried Ninveh would repent that I, would, um, that I tried to flee to Tarshish because I knew that you were a merciful God, slow to anger, and Rav Chesed. So he was worried that the people of Tarshish so the people of Ninveh would repent because God was so merciful and he didn't want to see them uh, repent. And he says, take my soul. My death is better than my life. Hashem says, to do good upsets you rhetorically. You're, you know, you don't like doing good. Come on, doing good is a good thing. Why are you upset about doing good? Yonah, he leaves the city. He makes a sukkah. He makes a, a, a little shed for himself um, uh, to sit in the shade and to see what would happen to the city. And Hashem makes this tree, or this bush, grow over Yonah to relieve his discomfort. And Yonah rejoices over that tree. The reason he rejoices, the commentaries say, is because maybe it was the right plan to look and see what would happen to the city. What does this mean, to see what would happen to the city? He wanted to see if the city would go right back to its old ways, Forty, you know, right after that decree didn't happen. After 40 days, would they go back to right, to immediately go back to their evil ways? And in fact, they didn't. There was a true repentance. Then God sends a worm to kill the tree the very next day, and the hot sun and the harsh eastern wind came, and the sun beat down on Yonah, and he felt faint. And again, he says, my death is better than my life. Hashem questions him, why do you grieve over the kikayon? Why do you grieve over this tree, this bush? And Yonah says, um, I'm aggrieved to death. Hashem responds, you take pity on the kikayon. You take pity on this little bush that you didn't labor over, you didn't make grow. You only lived, you know, under it for one night. And me, me Hashem, he questions Jonah. Me Hashem, I shouldn't take pity on Nineveh, where there's over 12, uh, yeah, 12 uh, 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. I mentioned we read in the Haftorah, we, we read in the Torah portion where it says, you know, if the Chachamim, if the sages say that your right hand is your left, this means... Rashi says it means that you're turned the wrong direction. You have to turn around. If you you know if you're facing the wrong direction, your right is going to be on the left, and your left is going to be on the right. So what do you have to do to correct that? You have to completely turn around. And he's saying maybe that's why the people of Ninveh didn't even know their right from their left because they were facing the wrong direction. However, when they did teshuva, when they returned, then they were facing the right direction. Then they knew the difference between the right hand and the left. The other message is. 
you know, we call, uh, we say, Avinu Malkinu, our father, our king. And this is basically what God is saying. God is our father. God is humanity's father that um, he, he looks at the Jewish people and says, you know, how can I, or he looks at all of, all of humanity and says, how could I, how could I destroy them? I have to take pity on them. I'm their father. And then the Haftorah concludes it with a little uh, verse of Micha that says, Mikal Kamocha, who is like you, God, who pardons sin, overlooks transgressions for the remnants of his heritage for the Jewish people. He doesn't maintain his wrath forever. His, he desires chesed. He desires kindness. He will once again show us mercy and suppress our faults and cast our sins to the depths of the sea. Grant truth to Yaakov, chesed, kindness to Abraham, as you swore to our forefathers, me make hedem in the days of old. To read my poem, go warn Ninveh of their sins. Yonah was informed. He tried to flee, but that was met with a mighty storm. Yonah was swallowed by a big fish. Ninveh repented just as Hashem wished. And with that, l'chaim l'chaim. And this has been the whole half Torah.